Welcome to the Darren Woodson Show. Our guest today is Walter Bond. And I'm going to say this, Darren. Mm. Mm-hmm. By far the most swag of any guest we've ever had. Yes. One of the this great. This dude look, yes, one had the, a demeanor, oh. had an had a aura about him, just an energy that you, I, I was, I, I mentioned this on the podcast, I was literally smiling the whole episode just because that's just the way he presents himself. Yeah, he's, he's just extreme, such an energetic Extreme dude. confidence, understands who he is, and one of the great speakers that's out there. I, I mean, I. Personally, tune in to, to Walter Bond just to hear him speaking. The message always is always changing. He's always bringing it with with, mm-hmm. a, with something else, but you know, just encouraging because as a young speaker, you know, there's so much I can learn from a guy like Walter Bond, and uh, his perspective is different yeah. than most. Yeah. Speaking of energy, yeah, Tyler, why don't you uh, tell us a little about our partner today? Yeah, really, uh, really love this partner. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you Ben a question. Oh, here we go. So. We've talked about this in the past. You don't do many dinner parties. No, okay. I, I hate people in general. <laughs> that's generally speaking. <laughs> hey, that's true. He hates people. <laughs> okay, but but here's here's a hypothetical situation. Ben is you are going to another couple's house for dinner. They've got kids your age. Mm-hmm. It's a Friday mm-hmm. night. Look, week's over. I'm really ready to unwind. Whitney's like, hey Ben, while you're at the store, we need to bring a bottle of wine. They love wine. <laughs> What are we having for dinner? Uh, we're having chicken and ch- chicken and pasta. Yep. What kind of wine are you going to bring? No idea. No clue. Just take a guess. Just just throw throw something. Uh, out there. I, I, white I, or red? Okay, there we go. I don't even know enough to throw out a name. I have yeah, no okay. idea. White or red? Uh, and we're eating chicken. Chicken and pasta. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say white, I Good. guess. Okay, all right, all right. But here's here's the thing, is we have partnered with In Good Taste. Yeah. And a company like In Good Taste can help an individual like, like ben, ben Gibbs out yeah. Yeah. understand the wine, right? The, to me, the, the wine industry is so intimidating, right? Because yeah. there's so many, like, th- uh, pinky up, yeah. sipping on my wine, and like, oh, this is too many sulfites, or this is this. Yeah. It's like, dude, is what is good? What is good? What do you like? Yeah. That's all I care about. But the challenge is, is I just don't even really know how to describe what right. I like. I was like, I like, I like red wines. I like it a little bit chilled, and uh, I like it smooth. Right. Okay. Well, that doesn't really help me, right? But what In Good Taste does is they will send a box of eight bottles of wine to you. Mm-hmm. And each bottle is only one glass of wine. Right. And so what it does is you can sample all different types of wine to figure out what I like. And they also provide the resources to understand why I like them. That's right. So you can hop onto their website. They've got a ton of information there. You can schedule a call with a sommelier or a wine coach. Yeah. I don't know if, if they technically are sommeliers, but wine coaches that walk you through it. You can do events, but walk through these things and really understand why you like it, right. what it is, where to get it, and then go from there. And now you actually are educated while having a great you, time. You just said it. You get educated through the process. Listen, I've been drinking wine for a long time, but I'm still, I learned yeah. so much yeah. from in good taste on the quality of wine, why, what, the environment. Yes. We talked about the environment yes. as far as how the, how the wine's produced in different ways. Is weather there a drought that year? Is exactly. it cold? Is it... But it's all to me. It's about the events as well. As a business yeah. owner, I want to put, I want to do virtual events and have mm-hmm. my the employees get together, drink wine, uh, have my family on, mm-hmm. drink wine with the family. So if you're out of town, don't worry about it. You don't have to go to Napa. Just get on to, uh, online virtually. Uh, 
Tune into In Good Taste. Go to ingoodtaste.com and you can get as many wine bottles as you want or packages as you want and taste the wine and go from there. And it can be as simple as just getting a box and just tasting it, figuring out which ones I like. I'm going to get more of it. Or it can be as complex as, hey, I'm going to take 50, 100 people and we're going to do a virtual tasting. We're going to have a sommelier walk through each of the pairings. We're going to get food delivered. What to, what to pair those wines with. I mean, it is just a phenomenal, phenomenal company and a phenomenal concept that is, is going to help me not look like such a meathead. And it's definitely going to help Ben. <laughs> I was say, you guys sold me, man. I'm going to ingoodtaste.com after this. So grab your bottle of wine, put on Walter Bond, enjoy the episode. You look great. You look great. And we okay, are we, we went ahead and pressed record. Our producer's not in today. That's just the reason why we're having all these problems. But uh Walter, we you know, first of all, here's Ben Gibbs. Wanna introduce you to Ben. How you doing, sir? I'm a co-host. Big Ben, what's up, baby boy? <laughs> <laughs> not a lie. We're just uh we're just running around crazy right now, but but like we said a second ago, you, you play through adversity. Hey man, champions adjust. <laughs> it's what we do. That's, That's right, man. Gotta get those ankles taped. Let's go, man. Let's go. Let's go. So, Walter, on the show, man, we like to go back and, and talk about the journey. And uh, and we want our audience to understand that, you know, life is, is not just a sprint. It's a marathon. You have the ups and downs. And, and what we wanted to do today is, and uh, as we normally do, is talk about the journeys from, from day one. Where did Walter Bond come from? And how did he get to where he is today? And let's talk through these obstacles, the whole shebang. So that's where we want to tell your life story, man. I got a special treat for you, too. I don't know if you know it or not. I didn't do but it. But one of my high school football teammates was one of your Dallas Cowboy teammates. Who's that? I ain't going to tell you. I'm going to drop it while we rolling. Okay, let's go. We're going now. We're going. I'm already giving mine in the Midwest. I already got it going now. So, you, hey, I'll, I'll figure it yeah. out by the time we get there. Okay, okay. Right, Midwest. All right. So, today's show, we have one of the great speakers. You know, mm-hmm. listen, I, I was at an event, and I had a buddy of mine during the event hand me the phone, and he said, you need to listen to this guy. Now, this is in the middle of a United Way event. And he said, you need to listen to this guy. And I said, you know, okay, well, take a listen. And, and, and there was so much noise going on and, you know, and I was like, all right, well, he said, no, 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 not, let's not walk outside. Just listen to it right now. So we turned the volume up on the phone, and I'm listening to this guy named Walter Bond speak. And it took my thought process away from what was actually going on, which was trying to give back to United Way, which they were selling me on, you know, taking money out of, you know, hey, you sign this check over. And I'm listening to Walter Bond talk, and I'm like, man, this is phenomenal. And I instantly sent a text to Ben. Yeah. Yep. And I said, hey, Ben, whatever we have to do, we need to get Walter Bond on because he spoke to me. And it's almost like you, 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 if you've been in the church and the preacher's looking at you and he's talking directly to you, well, Walter Bond was talking directly to me. 
And I said, I need to get, I need to get this man on. I need to hear his journey. I need to know where he came from. Uh, knew a little bit about his background, which was weird because after I started thinking about Walter Bond, I said, okay, I know this guy because I know he played basketball. I know he's here with the mask for, for a short time. But Walter Bond is our guest today on the Darren Woodson Show. And Walter, we're just glad to have you, man. Well, you know, thank you, man. This is an honor. And, um, you know, I do a lot of podcasts, obviously, and I run my mouth for a living. But <laughs> when you get a chance to connect with, um, you know, former NFL guys that can relate to the journey, yep. to know the ups and downs, um, how hard it is to have an eight-year career, uh, you know, it's special for me because there's some relatability. And, you know, what my wife and I, I met my wife in Dallas. Mm. You know, I tell people that was my rookie year treat. She was yeah. working with Dr. Pepper. Uh, we've been married 27 years, and we built a global business together. And my motto is, I don't hoop no more, but I'm still balling. <laughs> you know, that's my motto. And, <laughs> you know, I know y'all play football, but y'all yep. can have that too, man. Yeah. I don't hoop no more, but I'm still balling. And yeah. to me, being a baller is a mentality. And um, I'm just so thankful that I was able to stumble into something after basketball because you guys know how it is. Yep. You know, your whole life you dream about the NBA, NFL, yep. uh, Major League Baseball. And all of a sudden you make it and you get a chance to play until you're 30, 31. Then all of a sudden, what's next? And I mm. sat around my house for a whole year miserable. Mm. You know, I was just lost. And I didn't make the big money, you know, back in the 90s. You know, I made Walter Bond money. So I had about a year or two to figure it out. And uh, we had to get back on our grind. But my college basketball coach, a guy named Clem Haskins, man, I owe him so much. Mm. When I was leaving college, he was like, you should be a motivational speaker. And I'm like, what? I'm trying to get to the league, man. What are you talking about? Hey, I'm trying to get to the league. Man. I'm trying to get to the show. And 10 years later, when that ball stopped bouncing, I couldn't jump as high. I couldn't run as fast. And I was um, broadcasting for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I didn't really enjoy broadcasting. And he, mm. here's why. I'm not a good spectator. <laughs> mm. Wow. You need to be playing. I, I like huh? to participate. Yeah. You know, I'm a performer, man. And, and, and I didn't enjoy broadcasting because I love to perform. And I remember what my college coach said to me. And my wife and I launched the business in 2001. And now I'm a Hall of Fame speaker. So mm -hmm. we're going to dig into the detail, into yeah. the nitty gritty. Um, but being a peak performer is what I learned through sports. And it's really transfers directly into business. One of my hobbies is, is mentoring and coaching former athletes to become mm. successful after sports. And that's what I tell them. We don't hoop no more, but we still balling. Let's go. Yeah, let's man. Let's go get it. So yeah. right now, Ben, Darren, let's go get it. All let's right. Let's go get it. So we're going to go get it. So we're going to start with your journey. Now, we want to go back to your childhood. Walter, where are you from? And what were the, the family dynamics when you were growing up? You know, I'm a Chicago kid. You know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Um, I didn't have the ter stereotypical story, you know, didn't know my daddy. And I, man, my, my dad was a high school principal. My mom was a teacher. I was going to college anyway. You yeah. know, it was just very fortunate that I could hoop. You know, I was good in baseball, basketball, and football. And um, I'm the youngest in my family. And my uncle, I was named after, played Major League Baseball. Uh, he played for the Houston Astros, Minnesota Twins, Cleveland Indians. He was a six foot seven home run hitter, uh, died of leukemia when he was 29, still in oh, the major man. leagues, uh, actually died during the season. And mm. this is my dad's brother. So he named me after my uncle and his picture hung over the fireplace as a little kid. 
And I'm the youngest. I'm the best athlete. And my big sister played college ball at USC. Um, um, my, my, my picture went out, babe. Can you come cut this off? Uh, my big sister played ball at USC um, with a girl named Cheryl Miller. I'm sure yeah, you guys heard yeah. of Cheryl Miller. Of Texas so here he is. Yeah. My sister's a ball player. My uncle played Major League Baseball. And my dad's in the Hall of Fame at his college. And I'm the youngest. They say I'm the best athlete. Uh, the truth is... You know, growing up, that's what I wanted to do, play sports. And my parents were teachers. But the problem was I flunked out my first high school. <laughs> you flunked out of high school. Wait a minute. You're t- wait, is your father the principal of the high school that you were attending? Uh, long story. Not my first high school. <laughs> okay. All right. He was the principal of my second high school. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little clue because you might be able to figure out one of your, your one of my teammates that was your teammates. Okay. I went to a high school in, in Chicago named Whitney Young. And Whitney Young is one of these top academic schools. And these are the smartest kids in Chicago. And my brother and sister went there and they did great academically. And um, I show up. I did great socially. I did great athletically, but academically, I got my lunch handed to me. I mean, you had Jesse Jackson kids went there. I mean, to this day, these kids are lawyers and doctors. These are the smartest kids in in Chicago. And to be honest with you, it was the first time I didn't compete in my life. Mm. It was the first time I kind of struggled with confidence because in the classroom, I was like, man, these kids are smarter than me. Mm -hmm. These kids are smart. And I didn't even really engage academically. And I flunked out. And so that's embarrassing when your parents are teachers. But here's the good news. Uh, My dad, being a high school principal, always worked in the hood. I mean, my dad always worked in the hood. And I ended up transferring to his high school. Uh, He had a great basketball team. And a lot of people think I transferred just for basketball. Um, But it was twofold. They had a great basketball team, but I took my little 2.1 from from, uh, Whitney Young and I had to get my GPA up because I wanted to be a D1 ball player. And so Mm -hmm. when I left Whitney Young, you know, these are kids. Most of them had two parents, middle class families. When I went to my dad's school, man, it was like straight up hood Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it was good kids, but they didn't have the same kind of support. And it was just a great experience for me. And it really gave me confidence academically. And um, so my father was also my high school principal. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Lean on Me. Man. Yeah. My dad was that guy, man. I saw him chase 15 vice lords with a baseball bat with my own eyes. Mm. He didn't play. He was no nonsense. Um, as long as you handled your business, you were good with my dad. But, man, the moment, you know, you start tripping right. <laughs> and didn't handle business, it was an issue. So, <laughs> that, look, there's a lot there, man, because yeah. I know, like, if your father is the principal and he's a tough man, you showing up at, at, to the school, there's got to be some real conversations. What, what, was the, what was the conversations like with you, with you and your father at a young age? You know, they, 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 were, they were good conversations. And to give you a little bit more detail, um, he felt a little bit responsible for my failure. Because I didn't get accepted to Whitney Young. I mean, I applied. They didn't accept me. And so he wrote a letter and got me in, right? He's a high school principal. My brother and sister did well. And so my father wrote a letter and got me in. So when I struggled and failed, he felt partly responsible uh, because he's the one that really, really wanted me to go there. My attitude was, they don't want me. I don't want to go there. 
even right. though I really did. <laughs> but um, so he wrote a letter and got me in. But there's a lot of lessons in there. You know, a lot of times, you know, if you're trying to get a loan and the bank don't approve you, they really let you know that you're not capable of handling this kind of mortgage. Right. 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 And so when I get when I didn't get accepted, it wasn't that I wasn't intelligent. It was like I wasn't just ready academically to compete mm, at Whitney Young. And so right. when I failed out of Whitney Young, you know, he felt partly responsible. So it wasn't like I was in trouble. It wasn't like I got a spanking. You know? Right, right. Yeah, my dad would go there too, but, you know, it was a tough school. Um, I just got my lunch handed to me and he felt a little bad about it. And so when I transferred to his school, it was one of the biggest transfers in Chicago history. Um, because here you have one of the top players in the state of Illinois transferring from a top academic school yeah. to a high school in the hood. And then people thought my dad made me transfer. The truth is it was a great business decision um, because the 2.1 wasn't going to cut it academically. And I needed some confidence academically. And yeah. I, I was able to get that at Whitney Young. I mean, I'm sorry, at Collins High School. And the rest is history yeah. uh, from there. There's a reason I'm asking this this lead-in question, but did you just not were you just not drawn to academics? Did you just not like school, the actual studying and all that that's involved you know, in the actual school part? I'm a dreamer, man. You know, and so again, I'm the youngest. I was really good in baseball, basketball, and football. And Muhammad Ali was on. I think I'm gonna be the next heavyweight champ. Yeah, I was that yeah. kid. And I had people in my family successful, a major league baseball player. Mm -hmm. My sister won two national championships. And so here I am, the youngest, and everybody say, man, that's the best athlete mm -hmm. right there. I'm telling y'all, Walter is the best athlete. And so I would daydream all day. I yeah. literally was like, I couldn't focus because I'm trying to figure out, man, am I going to play in the NFL? I was a really good tight end. They called right. me hands in high school. I told my quarterback, if I touch it, I'm a catcher, bro. Anywhere <laughs> near me, I'm a catcher. You sound like a wide out. You sound like a typical wide receiver. I 500 in high school. I set a record. I struck out 17 batters in a playoff game. I ain't but 21 outs in high school. So – I was that guy in basketball. I mean, come on, it is what it is. And yep. so my, my, my mind was just dreaming about, is it going to be the major leagues, NFL, major league baseball? Am I going to be the heavyweight champ? Literally, I was so spacey and dreamy academically. I wasn't even focused to be honest. Yeah, right. Well, I'm like, it wasn't even that important to me at the time. Well, and the reason I asked you that, because – you sound very similar to me. I am a dreamer as well. I've got my head in the clouds of what I really want to do. And what the detrimental side of that is you tend to skip over the work that's necessary, the stuff that you may not necessarily like that's part of the process of getting to where you want to go. You tend to look over those things. You tend to skip past those things. And that's where I'm at a lot of times is learning the importance of doing the things I don't want to do because ultimately it still leads up into the ultimate goal. So I was just curious how, what your relationship with that aspect you know, ben, is. To your point, man, you know, intelligence can be measured a million different ways. And I challenge my audience every time I speak, don't you dare talk and say a pro athlete is dumb. Mm. There is no such thing as a pro athlete who's dumb. Right. Right. They might not be academically intelligent, but pro athletes have incredible instincts uh, typically, you we understand angles, body control. Yeah. But you could take a guy who can't 
you know, read and give them a playbook. Right? Yeah. And, and we'll be a genius on a football field <laughs> yeah. or a basketball um, court or a baseball field. It's not academic intelligence, right? right. So yep. intelligence, unfortunately for athletes, we have to be academically intelligent in order to advance. Right. right? right. And so yep. I, I'm a dreamer. I've always been a thinker. Sometimes I overthink. But here's the good news, Ben. Mm. My dreaming and my creativity comes in hand right now. Our first book was titled All But Stink, How to Live Your <laughs> Best Life and Eliminate Excuses. People are like, how would you come up with that title? I'm a dreamer. Right. The right. <laughs> second book is Swim, How a Shark, a Sucker Fish, and a Parasite site teach you leadership, success. How'd you come up with that, dude? Like, this mind right here never goes to sleep, and I've always been creative and innovative, and my mind in high school was just out of control. You know, I love the people watch. I just wasn't ready academically, and it had nothing to do with me not being right. intelligent. So, I love that. So how, how did that come about as far as – because you had to get through high school. At some point, you had to buckle down. At some point, you had to know, like, hey, look, okay, here's the dream, but I got to buckle down. Because I, I, similarly to you, I was a dreamer as well, and I sucked in school. I couldn't – the reason why I was – and you know about this back in your day, I was a Prop 48 because I, that's all I did was dream about – the next level, the next level in algebra. What is that? You know, I didn't look at it, but so when did you get hyper-focused on what you wanted to accomplish academically? Well, I, honestly, I was embarrassed, you know, when I, when I flunked out of a high school, you know, that was the first time I failed in my life, right? Yeah. Ever at anything. And the first time you fail, then you let your parents down. You know, your parents are teachers, and my parents are from the South, Kentucky and, and, and Tennessee, respectfully, and I'm a civil rights kid, right? right? And mm. grew up, you know, hey, man, academics and school is a way out. You know, my parents left the South, got educated, built a great life for us kids. You know, I grew up in a middle, middle class neighborhood, man. I don't, I don't have a tough luck story from the streets, man. Right. I, don't, I, I didn't grow up. I, I lived the American dream, honestly, like everybody else. And the truth was, I embarrassed my family. Mm. Here it is. As a well-known high school principal, my mom is a kindergarten teacher. Everybody knew our family, and mm. I flunked out of a high school, so the embarrassment, honestly. And on the way to my dad's new school, the brilliance of it, it was an hour drive from the south side to the west side. Mm. And basically, I became his coaching project. And just like a good coach, he built my confidence. You know, great coaches yeah. build confidence, right? He would tell me, you're just as smart as your brother and sister, but your value system is screwed up. This family produces student-athletes. Mm. He would say that to me every morning. Mm. You're just as smart as your brother and sister. This family produces student-athletes. You're just as smart as your brother and wow. sister. Yeah. This family produces. And that coaching and that mentorship. And he said, man, your brother and sister are going to college. Now I can focus on you. And that was the message for that hour ride every day. And something else he did, he made me write my goals down. Oh, man. Mm. I had to write them down, and I had to look at them every day. And he always had me start with the academic goal. And I would say, okay, Dad, I'm going to graduate college in four years. I'm going to play in the NBA, and I'm going to make more money in business than I did in sports. That's what I wrote down in, in like when I was 16, 17. Wow. And he was like, all right, son, I want you to take out those goals and look at them every single day. And so, you know, in high school, you're trying to take a nap, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. late, talking to your girlfriend, yeah. I'd be tired. I would get in the car, and I would let him see me look at my goals. 
And as long as I got him satisfied, I would go to sleep and take a nap. <laughs> on, on this, that was a good nap, man. An hour drive in high school. Oh, man, yeah. That was a great nap. Man, your dad sounds like an awesome dad. I mean, just poured into you, loved you, was super into whatever you were into. What a dad, man. That, that is awesome to hear that. And, you know, for me, that's the key to a family. And, and the truth is, I, I, I'm very blessed. And being a Chicago kid, knowing how Chicago, Chicago can be, I could have easily been a casualty, right? Yeah. But, you yeah. know, just thank God that I had a father who was disciplined, a father who was patient, a father who was loving, but he was also a ball player. Right. Yeah. My dad's in the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame at his college and his brother played Major League Baseball. And so he already knew, like, look, dude, you can play, mm-hmm. but this family, and it really taught me about culture, right? You think about being on a championship team, mm-hmm. championship teams take care of their locker room, right. right? The locker room is right. Right. If your locker room ain't right, your team ain't gonna be right. But if your locker room is right, your team is gonna be right. And so inside of my family, watch this. It was really it was a, it was a training and development organization masquerading as a family. Mm-hmm. I tell all of my clients, they look, man, smart organizations are training and development organizations at their core. If you think about McDonald's, that's a training and development organization, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about Alabama f- football. That's a training and development organization, right? Anytime you really focus on training and development, watch this. You can do anything with your C student, right? Think about a C student can go either way. A C student can become an A student with a little bit more focus, but a C student can also flunk out if they lose focus. Mm -hmm. So I tell all my clients, if you have a really good player development program, right, Mm -hmm. you can take a kid in North Dakota State and make them the first pick in the draft. Mm. You can take a kid at, 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 at wherever school that you go to. A lot of these schools now want to win these recruiting battles. Okay, go and win your recruiting battle. But what's going to separate you is your training and development. Yeah. That goes for sports. And it also goes for business. And so what we do with our training and development organization, for our clients who don't have a training and development organization, we become it. Yeah. Right? So if you need leadership training, I got you. You need teamwork training. We got you. You need sales training? We got you. For me, it's nothing more than a drill. We about to work on our left hand, our right hand. We about to work on our free throws. We about to work on setting the edge and our back pedals, (laughs) whatever the thing is. We're going to work on that curveball to make sure we can get it over for a strike. Companies who buy into training and development, you know, as, as their culture, they always win and they always win big. You know, you said something right there because we, we live in a state where the University of Texas in Austin is the powerhouse school in supposed it's a powerhouse school here in, in Texas and, and around the country. And every year in football, they draft. They're in the top they, – they draft. They recruit, and they're usually in the top five, top ten in recruiting every year. And as you can imagine, big state, Texas football is the mecca. You would think they had their pick of the litter of who they wanted. So they picked these certain players. But a couple of years ago, this is the same university that had zero players get drafted into the NFL. And it's because they can't develop. They got a four-year span, a three-year, three-and-a-half-year span with these kids, and they can't develop the players. And I, I think that's, that speaks directly to it. It doesn't matter who you go get. You can go get a C student. You can get an A-plus guy. You can get you know, a, a five-star or whatever it is, or you can get a two-star guy. If you can't develop them, they're not going to get to the next level. 
you know, and, and again, I, 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 I learned all this in sports. And, you know, the, the, the lucky thing for me is that I chose the University of Minnesota. And Clem Haskins, who I played for, played in the NBA. But his player development was amazing. I mean, he would sit you down at the end of the season and say, hey, man, this is what I need you to do next year. <laughs> yeah. Right? I need you to lose 10 pounds. I need you to work on that left hand. You got to knock down that three-point shot. And if you do that, son, you know, you're going to get more playing time. And per person, per person, we all came back bigger, stronger, and faster. And so for me, when I watch sports, you know, I, I, I watch a coach's ability to develop players. If I'm an athletic director, that'll be my first question. Like, okay, I, I need somebody that can recruit, but what is your player development strategy? Right. How are you going to turn these boys into men mentally? Mm-hmm. emotionally, spiritually. How are you going to develop these guys? It don't matter if you win a recruiting battle and four years later, I'm going to pass you by with all these C students because we're yeah. going to outwork you. We're going to outdevelop you. We're going to teach these guys how to play linebacker. But we're also going to teach them how to be men, yeah. how to be good citizens, right? How to, how to be mature, how to handle your business. And I'm telling you, in any industry, if you focus on development, you will win and you will win big. I'll give you one example. McDonald's. I do a lot of work in franchising. Um, I'm on the board of Jersey Mike Subs. But let me tell you who's really set the tone in franchising, and nobody's really duplicated it. Not nobody, but a lot of people haven't. McDonald's, they created Hamburger University. So basically what they realized is like, you know what? We're going to get a lot of kids coming in here with a GED. We're going to have a lot of kids walking in here smelling like weed. We're going to have a lot of kids who are only in here because their mama made them come in here. But what if we develop them? What if we teach them leadership skills and leadership ability? What if we teach them how to build a culture, how to improve employee engagement? What if we taught them what customer service is all about? They might not have been good at that high school, but they can come and get a straight A here. McDonald's just hired their chief diversity officer. He started at McDonald's when he was 16. He thought he was going to flip burgers but what he didn't realize, he was walking into a training and development organization masquerading as McDonald's. Mm. Uh, and all these other franchises aren't duplicating that. And that's what we're doing at Jersey Mike's, right? I do a bunch of videos for them. They got an outstanding coach and trainers. They're developing their people. And so whether it's in sports or in business, could you play in the NFL and not lift weights? Come on. Right. Could you be an offensive lineman and not be able to bench press 200 pounds? You would get murdered, yes. right? Yep. And so I, I remember in college, the football players would, would eat a, a third meal at 10 o'clock at night, especially the linemen. Yep. Why? Because they had to keep their bodies developed, right? They, didn't, they couldn't lose too much weight. Right now, Minnesota got a little punch card. They have a cafeteria open 24 hours a day. All you got to do is scan the card and go in there and eat. Why? Because they're really focused on development. And so whether it's sports or in business or in your family, yeah. We got to become training and development organizations, yeah. masquerading as the Woodson family, yeah, right. the big yeah. family. This C student who flunked out of a high school is now a best-selling author, mm. a thought leader sitting on corporate boards. I know what is possible if training and development becomes your focus. So yeah, so let's talk about that then. You you, you said you chose the University of Minnesota. You had an unbelievable mentor there and your coach. What made you choose Minnesota? What was that like? What drew you to that university? 
Man, my, my old man, man, you know, again, I'm the youngest and, and, you know, my sister got recruited across the country and um, he came to me during the recruiting process and he was like, you know what, son, this is not a four year decision. I'm like, huh? I'm looking at offense. I'm looking at depth charts. I'm looking at playing time. He was like, look, man, this is a 40 year decision. Mm. I want you to choose a school that's going to bless you 40 years from now. Wow. I was like, whoa just changed my whole mentality. And then I was like, you know what? I don't want to go to a small town. Like, nope, there's no business opportunities. And on my recruiting trip to Minnesota, there's a part of the Twin Cities where you can look and see downtown Minneapolis and downtown St. Paul, and you can see them. And I was like, dude, this is the Big Ten? So I can play big time basketball in a city with 22 Fortune 500 companies. When I left the University of Minnesota, I had a $75,000 job offer in 1992, no, 91. Mm. Think about that, that's a good job today. $75,000 job. I interned with Honeywell when I was in school. My whole basketball team interned, and I'm telling you, if you were mature enough, you can leave the University of Minnesota with a really good job. And so when I came back to Chicago, everybody like, man, where you going? I was like, Minnesota. They're like, what? Why you go there? Oh, no, no. I was like, dude, it was a 40-year decision. So here's what happened. Playing for the Utah Jazz, um, I got cut. My wife's pregnant. And I was like, my coach is really good on networking with all of our boosters. And one of our top boosters, boosters was a big-time realtor. And I was like, look, I just got cut. I want to buy a house in Minneapolis. This is okay. I didn't know where to buy. I didn't know about equity. I didn't know anything about school districts. I just, I didn't know anything about that. This, this booster had us buy a house in a suburb of Minneapolis who had the number one school district in the country. Mm. And I'm telling you, we bought our first house and we made so much money on that house. Uh, <laughs> right. and, and it was all just following my father's advice that, look, man, this is a 40 year decision. So when I mentor kids, I, I mentored a guy 60 something years old at one of our NBA retired player events. And I asked him, I said, man, where'd you go to school? No, he was struggling. He was like, man, we're struggling. We got to get LeBron to do something. We got to get LeBron to do something. I was like, man, he little punk. Mm. Man, when guys are in the league, they're going to get their money. Right. Right. They ain't worried about the next generation. When you were in the league, you weren't worried about the right. next generation. So right. now do you want LeBron worried about you? Right. And I, and I started coaching him. And I was like, where did where'd you go to school? He said, Purdue. I was mm. like, oh, he's like, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I was like, where do you live? He says, New Mexico. You went to Purdue, you're one of their all-time leading scorers, and you live in New Mexico, struggling. Mm. I said, what made you go to New Mexico? Oh, man, I like the weather. And he goes, what made you choose Minnesota? I said, because I make money in Minnesota. Everybody knows my name in Minnesota. When I walk in the room, people recognize my face in Minnesota, and all I need is a conversation. Why in the heck are you in New Mexico struggling yeah. when nobody knows you? You should be at least in Indianapolis. Yeah. He's like, man, I never thought about it that way. Duh. So I tell all my athletes, look, Charlie Ward was in one of my coaching programs. He just moved back to Tallahassee. I write, brilliant, dude. You are a living legend in Tallahassee. Mm. I mean, Charlie Ward yeah. in Tallahassee? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Charlie Ward can do anything. anything. He, yep. Charlie Ward is the closest thing to Jesus Christ in Tallahassee. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when he told me he was moving back to Tallahassee, I was like, about time. 
He lived in Houston. You know, he played 10 years in, 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 in the NBA. But I was like, dude, your promised land is Tallahassee. Yeah. That's your promise. So any athlete, if you're struggling right now, you got to go back to that city where you got the biggest name and the best brand. Might be your college town. It might be your pro town. But come on, let's get back to these cities where everybody knows us and let's leverage all the, all the sweat. All the all the sprained ankles, all the concussions. Let's go back and leverage this. I went back to Minnesota after I retired, guys. And guess what? The Timberwolves called me. They were like, hey, we heard you back in town. We heard you retired. Do you want to broadcast? I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm broke and I don't have any money coming in. Of course, right? right. And they hired me within a week. Only because everybody we're the only Division I school in the state. There's no yeah. Western. Minnesota. Yeah, the competition is not there. Yeah, back. right. And North Dakota, South Dakota, they followed us too. So when I moved back after my career was over, man, our business took off because of what my daddy said to me. This is not a four-year decision, son. Yeah. This is a forty-year decision. Yeah. And at fifty-two years old, man, that 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 is still blessing me to this day. That's all. Hey, Walter, this, live in Florida, but. This, this, this is Tyler. Uh, ben and Darren wouldn't let me on screen because I didn't do my hair how they like today. So <laughs> so I'm sitting back behind the computer. But, hey, I, I think that that's something that we got to marinate on. I mean, obviously the development, but but do you think that it there is any responsibility from, from universities and really more specifically the sports organizations that some of these college athletes – uh, are in whether it be football, basketball, baseball, swimming, doesn't matter. To in the development process, coach them about leveraging that. You mentioned okay, we've gone through so much, all the injuries, all the time, all the stress. Do you think that it, the responsibility falls on the university to provide that guidance? Hey, look, leverage your platform. You are, you are lucky enough to be the one percent of the one percent that gets to play collegiate athletes, athletics. Now you need to take advantage, and here's how. Or do you think that that falls on the individual? You know, I'm, I'm going to give you a multifaceted answer. I think the primary responsibility falls on your family. You know, my, mm -hmm. my mom and dad was like, look, boy, college is four years. When I left Chicago, went to Minneapolis, they were like, look, man, we don't even think college should be five years. College is a four-year experience. No matter what happens with your basketball career, you're going there to be a student and you're going there to graduate. Now, after I flunked out of my first high school, I was like, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Trust me. And I graduated in four years, right? So I think the primary responsibility should be on your family, right? And But right now, I do a lot of work with the NBA. And I do a program for the Rookie Transition Program, but I also do something called the NBA Top 100 where they bring in the top 100 high school basketball players in the country. And it's amazing because 30% of these kids are going to be in the league like in the next two years. Right. And what I found, which was incredibly disappointing, was that the parents were caught up. Parents completely caught up. And I get it. There's a lot of money being thrown around. I get it. But mom, don't get too caught up where you lose sight of, of being mom. Yeah. Right? Dad, don't you get so caught up that all you care about is the basketball aspect because the truth is with these one and dones now, you got kids in and out the league at 23, 24. Yeah. And they're done, right? Mm -hmm. 23, 24, you know, their brain is not even fully developed and they're already out the league. Yeah. 
And man, that's a lonely place to be. Cause you all know when that when your career is over, that phone don't ring as much. That's right. Those girls yep. don't think you are as cute as they mm-hmm. used to think you were, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And all of a sudden, all those uncles and aunts and cousins, you know, you're not as special as you used to be when you were in the league. Right. I think the primary responsibility has got to be on mom and dad maintaining that relationship as mom and dad. I remember my rookie year, my dad came to Dallas. And I, I got my first credit card and I was going to take him out to dinner and I was going to pay for it. Mm. And I put my credit card on the table and he looked at me. He was like, boy, I'm still your daddy. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, credit card, right? and, uh, and I was like, all right, cool. So I think the primary responsibility is mom and dad. So- Secondarily, I think the university and I remember when my sister played at USC, they were the number one team in the country. They had a person dedicated to them to do good media interviews, right? But I do think you need to learn how to market yourself. Mm-hmm. You, need, you need to learn how to brand yourself. And you need to learn, watch this, how to be likable. Yeah. I'm watching these kids with all the braids and all the tattoos. And I'm like, yo, um, I get it. But you know what? Why not position your brand as best you can so that you can become a brand ambassador for a product that wants to feel good about the player that they're endorsing. Mm -hmm. For example, Jersey Mike Subs. I mean, I'm in on some of these meetings and they have a long conversation on who they're willing to connect their brand to. And and they don't, they take take that very seriously. Mm -hmm. And I've been on some meetings. I'm like, what's wrong with him? He's okay. They're like, nope, nope, nope. You got a DUI. Nope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How about this guy? Nope, nope, nope. And I was like, I get it. You work hard for your brand. You want to connect your brand to an athlete that embodies everything about your brand. Mm -hmm. So to your question, mom and daddy got to handle that first or your caregivers. Secondarily, I think it's got to be the school. In the third area, I think agents, you know, agents, Mm -hmm. you know, and I had a bunch of them. And man, it's hard to find a good agent. (laughs) Hard to find a good agent that cares about you, the athlete. Um, it's such a revolving door. Um, and I don't expect the agent to do it, but mom and dad can do it. And that university, I think, has a responsibility to position you to be the best you that you can be while you're in school. You know, Walter, I want, I want to talk to you about same topic, but di- different circumstances. Let's say it's the kid, the inner city kid that's coming out of Chicago, doesn't have a father. Uh, he has a, a single mom or a grandmother that, that raised him, but he's that athlete. Or it could just be just a regular student. And he gets into college, finds a way to get into college. What would you say, get, get, give me two things that that kid should do. Boy, girl, doesn't matter who it is. What are the two things that you feel like are probably most important to success? You know, you got to have a mentor. You know, that's what my book Swim is all about. Mm. You know, it's about a shark and a sucker fish. You know, no matter how big a shark gets in the ocean, they're vulnerable to parasites. And so they work in this symbiotic relationships with sucker fish. Right. Think about it. Um, a sucker fish get free ride in the ocean. Mm. They get to eat the scraps every time a shark makes a kill. But they got one job to do. Keep the shark clean. And this little bitty fish gets to hang out with this big, ferocious shark and they work in tandem. So I would tell any young kid, go get a mentor, you know, go get somebody in your neighborhood that takes a personal interest in not just your basketball career, but takes a personal interest in you. 
You know, I tell people all the time, my dad was my dad, but he also was my high school principal. Mm. And it was amazing how those conversations were different. I knew when I was talking to my dad and I knew I was talking to my high school principal. And the funny thing about it, it wasn't just me that loved him. All the other kids loved him too, right? Mm. So I got the benefit that my high school principal was amazing, but the other kids loved him too because he would spend time with them and encourage them and strengthen them and give them advice. There's always people around. And in best case scenario, it's your biological dad. That's best case scenario. Secondarily, maybe it's a stepdad. But heck, it could be your high school basketball coach, your high school football coach. It could be an uncle. There's somebody in your community that cares about you. Mm -hmm. There's somebody in your community that wants to be honest with you. But here's, here's what happens to a lot of young kids. They don't want to be coached. Right. You know, sometimes they get so caught up and mama let me do what I want to do because yeah. I'm the gravy train and I become the man of the house where I can't listen to anybody talk. When I speak to the NBA rookies, I tell them, I say, look, man, most of y'all don't even know who y'all are because I don't even really look at the NBA like that anymore. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I probably make as much money as all of y'all do right now. Mm. They look at me like, really, man, y'all know people sit courtside. Man, we're entertainment. They look at me like, for real? Like, yeah. <laughs> all those people in the skybox, dude, we're, we're, we're their entertainment. Right. We got to work Christmas. We got to work Thanksgiving. <laughs> we're entertainers. <laughs> you think that we're making as much money uh, as the people sitting courtside? And so sometimes athletes are in this bubble that we on top. Mm-hmm. I live in a neighborhood with, with six billionaires. With a B, I'm like, bro, how you how you make a billion dollars? How do you make a billion dollars? And so I've been very humble when I got out of sports and got into this real world that I realized, man, people are making millions of dollars with their mind. It's not about their 40 inch vertical. It's not about their seven foot two wingspan, yeah. right? It's not about their shuttle speed. And they ran a four three four four, right? And their cover corner can shut the whole field down. This guy can really set the edge. No, this dude is innovative. This guy's creative. Man, this guy invented something. I'm in these environments, and it is amazing. And I just get so excited. Video. I get so excited about learning about new industries. Being a city kid, honestly, when I look back on it, I feel bad for city kids because all you see are drug dealers, athletes, Mm. and rappers. That's like all you see. You see athletes, right? Drug dealers and rappers. So you got millions of little black boys, especially in inner cities. That's what the role model is. Athletes, rappers, and drug dealers. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Absolutely. An athlete. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, I'm not good enough. Well, a rapper can't rap. <laughs> What's left? Yeah, slanging. So I'm around yep. industries and I'm like, you guys do what? I did a program for a company called Sellmark. The guy hired me two or three times, bought all my books. He just didn't even care about money. He like, Walter, I want you to speak to my sales team. And every last one of them sit courtside if they go to a ball game. And I was like, what? He's like, oh yeah, my sales team. All we sell is paper. That's all we sell is paper. I said, you need to tell me, these guys sell paper. And as a sales rep, not the CEO, not an executive, they have enough money to sit courtside. Absolutely. I want you to motivate my team that sells paper. I'm like, dude. (laughs) So my mind has been blown about what is possible outside of sports. Mm. And so when I go and speak to the rookies, I write my cell number on the board, and I'm like, look, man, don't call me until you're done playing. Take my number, 
lock it in, call me when you are done. And that's when I, I can help you. What and do you look at me like, huh? What? I'm like, dude, mm. I'm not impressed with you. And this career going to be over in a couple of years. Holler at your boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and when you really need some help, I got you. Yeah. How do you get when through? You really help, I got you back. Sorry. How, how do you get through to these? these athletes, you know, whether they're 18 to 22, whether they're in college thinking they're going to the league or they're rookies or even second year, right? Because it, you said it earlier, like these are still boys. They're not even fully matured yet. They haven't even fully developed at 23, 24 years old. Yeah. How do you get them to, to recognize, hey, the platform that I have now has got to start now? Because, look, I didn't grow up in the inner city. I was, I was really lucky, like you, to have an incredible father, incredible mother in the house that, that gave me guidance. But there's guys that, like you said, the only avenues out are, are either being an athlete or military or on the streets. But, so they get there. They, they, they think that they're invincible because they, they haven't had the maturity. They haven't gone through the experiences because – their athletic ability has gotten them this far and you can do no wrong. But how do you get them to listen? And before you know, it's too late. Is, it, you know, the, the great question. Um, you know, first of all, as a professional speaker, my job is to connect with my audience. So I, I don't care if it's a room full of white millionaires. I don't care if it's a room full of black women. I don't care if it's a room full of athletes. My number one job is to connect with my audience. And the, and the way I do that is through storytelling. You know, any great motivational speaker is also a great storyteller. And in our coaching program uh, for speakers, I teach what I call the hot dog theory. And every time I speak, my job is to serve up a bunch of hot dogs. And basically, the Frankfurter represents the bun, I mean, the content. What is the message I'm trying to give them, right? That's the Frankfurter. The bun is the story that I wrap it in, right? Mm. And so the hot dog was designed to be a meal on the go. And the way we've been able to build an amazing legacy in the speaking industry, now we do coaching and training and other things that have kind of spawned off it, is being a great storyteller, but there's a lesson in each and every story. So these young kids, you know, if they're 16, I'm going to tell them a high school story about how I flunked out. I remember going to my dad's school, and I remember being in the lunchroom. Man, these kids were different, man, than my other high school. I mean, these kids were literally taking care of themselves. Mm. I mean, 15, 16. I used to complain, mom, you know, $20 allowance is not enough, mom. This is not <laughs> enough. I can't, I, I get $20 every two weeks, mom. This is not enough. When I went to the west side of Chicago, I remember they gave out donuts in the morning and I was so greedy. My dad would cook breakfast. I would eat at home and then I would go all the way to school and I would eat the donut and have my little milk and people would ask me for my donut and I'm like, no, bro, eat your donut. <laughs> And it didn't dawn on me that, man, they needed that donut for dinner. That's right. Yeah. It didn't dawn on me that they yeah. were saving these donuts for that little brother. And now I feel so selfish and horrible. Like, I was like, <laughs> I ate a full breakfast at home. Mm. <laughs> and I wasn't, it wasn't clicking for me because I grew up with, I grew up, I need some money. Hey, man, give me some money, dad. But these kids were literally taking care of themselves at 15 some of and this is when crack hit the streets right mm -hmm. crack hit the streets in the 80s man these kids were 15 yeah. taking care of two little siblings because their mom was cracked out and i was mm -hmm. like dude like man you're like literally 
providing for a family of 15. I just couldn't, and I saw it on a daily basis. And so my heart just went out to them. And I was like, man, and people wonder, well, you know, you, you don't care about school. They're like, they care about survival. These kids are like, you, yeah. you're worried about this freaking spelling bee. <laughs> and when they get home, they don't know if they're going to have anywhere to sleep tonight. Because yeah. they're at some aunt's house who doesn't want them there. And they just took them in just because they're family. And I saw this and I was like, dude, these kids are literally raising themselves. So when I meet somebody that's really hard on inner city kids, you know, they have no clue. Cause I grew up like most America wants to grow up, yeah, but I'm yeah. a city kid growing up in Chicago and getting a chance to go to my father's high school and seeing what he was dealing with. And here he is, he got his son flunking out. I was like, dad, I'm tripping my thing. Right. <laughs> okay, I'm really tripping. And it was, he didn't have to say it. I experienced it. And I have so much respect for my kids at, at, at both high schools, but my second high school, man, those kids were survivors, man. Yeah. And I'm telling you, some of them went on to college and some of them went and played some ball themselves, but these kids were literally raising themselves. So to answer your question, you know, some of these kids came from similar situations. The only thing they had was that ability to play. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I grew up in the low end, but I'm six, seven. Right? Right. Yeah. I grew up in the hood, but I got a 40 inch vertical and, and that's what I got. And so I really want to let them know, like, look, man, if God gave you a resource to escape, OK, it is your responsibility to escape. But go back and save as many people as you yeah. can, because yeah. the true you know, struggle we have economically People don't understand when you broke, your integrity will go out the window. Why? I'm hungry. Yeah, you, want I'm me to, you want me to do the right thing, bro? I'm starving. I haven't eaten in three days, you yeah. know? And some of these kids, like with COVID, and people talking about just homeschool. That's not, you don't understand in the city. Mama don't have a computer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mama don't have yeah, that's, the, that's the crazy thing. Most some of the most. And lunch. Yeah. Mama needed you to have lunch at school because mm. mama can barely get dinner together. Mm. And I'm going to get you a box of cereal. I can get a gallon of milk, some cereal. You're going to eat lunch at school. And when you get home from dinner, we're going to do some macaroni and cheese or a hot dog. We're going to yeah, figure it out. Yeah, you sound like me, man. So, look, I, I, in, growing up in the inner city, man, some of the most brilliant people in the world are in the penitentiary. Some of the most brilliant people you will ever meet are behind bars. And it's because that all they knew was survive. They had to survive. And it was like taking care of four, other, four or five other brothers and sisters. So you did what you had to do to survive. And I, man, I like, we, we go to you having this conversation with you. It just reminds you that, you know, because we have the resources that we have, because we have the, some of the experiences that we have, and we've gone through things in our life. We can pour so much more back into these kids and, you know, what you're doing with the, with, with the, within the NBA and with these kids, young kids coming out, man, it means a lot. It really does, man, because, again, 6'7", get you there, but it doesn't keep you there. It doesn't keep you, you that brain. You've got to develop as a person. you got to develop, man. You know? yeah. and, and, and to me, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. If you don't have character, you're never going to really maximize your talent. And so I don't care what your background is. A lot of these kids are hungry. And, you know, tonight is the draft, yeah. man. When I, when, when I watch the draft and some of these kids just cry uncontrollably, oh, that touches my heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that just yeah. touches me because I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> I understand the work it took. Yeah. I understood the commitment it took. 
and I can't really relate what it's going to do for your family because I didn't grow up maybe like that. Right. But you see the emotions. It's like, dude, like, oh, and they just let it all out, uh, man. Yeah. That is just mm-hmm. so touching for me because the journey is real. Yeah. And the journey is a tough journey. You guys know how it is, man. You can be on your way and all of a sudden you got a funny coach who, right. who don't believe in you. Or you tear your ACL or, mm. or they playing you out of position. Right. It is so hard to make it to the NFL. It is so hard to make it to the NBA. Yeah. And so all of us, even if you play Division One sports, you got a story because only 2% of high school athletes make it to Division One sports. Right. So mm-hmm. even if you got to the Division One level, you are qualified to go and help somebody else yeah. because it's so hard to even become a top collegiate athlete. And I think we all have a responsibility to go back and inspire and motivate other people because on the journey, think about all the things we learned about discipline. Right. Think about all the things we learned about just nutrition. Mm. You know, think about all the things we just learned about being coachable. Right. And, and, and to me being recruited, honestly, I've made a whole lot of money because I teach it in a sales environment. To me, recruiting is no different than selling. Mm. And when I got recruited, my dad was like, just pay attention, son. Just pay attention. And the one thing I noticed, every time a coach left our house on a recruiting trip um, or an in-home visit, the first question we asked before they even got back in the car was, all right, Michigan just left. Arizona State just left. Wisconsin just left. Minnesota just left. What did we think, family? Did we like them? That was always the very first question. And so when I do a sales program or sales training for my corporate clients, I tell them my recruiting story, but then I flip it and speak business and say, look, are you likable? Do you understand how powerful it is to be likable? Do you brighten up a room when you enter or do you brighten up a room when you leave? You worried about product knowledge, but are you likable? We're all in the people business. You better not communicate with people. You better connect. And they get done like, wow, okay. I get it. You 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 gotta connect, and so I'm able to take what I learned in sports and have direct impact in the business environment. Same principles. It's really just a different language. That's the only thing that adjusts. Yeah, let's talk about that transition a little bit. You know, you obviously you went to Minnesota, then you got drafted, played in the NBA. But let's talk about your drafted. Tra- sorry, get drafted. sorry, you played, but you did play eight seasons. <laughs> I got, I, hey, Walter, <laughs> hey, I got that in common with you. I got that in common with you. <laughs> off the bench in college. I did not even start in college. Want to take a quick break from the episode and tell you guys about a brand new partnership. Uh, because you guys listen to the podcast, uh, companies are now coming to us yes. and wanted to be a part of this. Yeah. And that's 100% because of you guys. So wanted to tell you about an exciting new partnership. Man, this is have. a great, great partnership. And it's a long time friendship that I've had with Choctaw Casino and Resort located uh, in Durant, Oklahoma, just across the Red River here. Uh, easy drive, great people, great resort. The new renovations going on. Got a fantastic pool that's outside. So if you got kids, if you have kids, or if you just want to get away uh, alone with your wife, your girlfriend, uh, whatever, your partner, doesn't matter what it is, go over to uh, uh, Choctaw Casino Resort. Have a great time. Again, we always talk about relationships on this podcast. We have a great relationship with Walt, Walter Allen, who's over there, and, and the people over at Choctaw Casino have just been wonderful. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, you don't have a wife and a girlfriend at the same time. Hey, a little bit of both, <laughs> but have a good time anyway. But yeah, like Darren said, go check them out. Choctaw Casino and Resort. Now back to the episode. 
but I guess the, the genesis of the question is the transition away from sports. And you're a successful you know, public speaker. You're obviously impacting a lot of lives. But how tough was that transition? And, and I think this can apply to anybody, not just athletes, you know, because we talk about military transition away. When it's something you've done your entire life and you've put all your effort and all your mental capacity into it, it's hard to walk away. So how did the transition go for you personally from being an athlete to the real world? Big Ben, great question. Remember in high school, my father had me write down my life goals. I'm going to graduate college in four years. I'm going to play in the NBA. And I'm going to make more money in business than I did in sports. But that was so ingrained in my spirit. So when my career was over, next, mm. when my career was over, I'm like, okay, I got another goal. I want to make more money in business than I did in sports. Mm. And that really sustained me to really attack the next phase of my life. Um, two, I have a great wife. I met my wife. She's a professional. Um, her dad's an entrepreneur. And she helped me. And her biggest help was when my career was over. You know, she did, she worked for Dr. Pepper in Dallas and she did pharmaceutical sales in Minneapolis when we were living up there. And she had to teach me. I was like, okay, what is marketing and branding? Okay, well, all right, all right okay, okay. What's the margin? Okay, what, what's private equity and venture capitalism? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm really good at trailing a two guard off a screen, but I had no clue <laughs> business terms. I and then her biggest advice was, um, we need to join the country club. I'm like, what? You're right. Like, yeah, think about it, Walt. You hung around NBA ball players and you made it to the NBA. We got to get you around business people. And I was like, wow. So growing up in Chicago, your, your crew, in Chicago, it's a matter of life and death. Yeah. Mm. And so growing up in a city like that, you're very selective in who you roll with. And so I was like, man, that makes so much sense. Okay, and we joined the country club. And Flip Saunders belonged there. And, um, you know, some of the local business guys belong there. And the beauty of America, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to give this to you guys for free. Oh. <laughs> you got to spend your money to get information and access. That's the best way you can spend your money, to get information and access. When I joined the country club, it gave me access to decision makers, right? Mm -hmm. And so while, while I was at the country club, I never forget, I'm talking to people, and they go, oh, well, you know, it's a senior C CEO of this car. Oh, wow, okay. Okay, yeah, he's the CEO of this company. And you know how it is, ball players. After a while, you hang out with somebody long enough. I was like, he ain't smarter than me. Yeah, okay. yeah, truth. I mean, he's smart, but he ain't smart. I'm competitive, right? right? right. He's mm -hmm. smart, but he ain't smarter than me. You mean to tell me he, he can make 20 million and right. I can't figure out how I can just get like maybe one million? But he ain't that much smarter than me. And then here was a kicker for me I started seeing the women hang around the pool serving their kids goldfish. And I was telling my wife when I retired, I was like, babe, go get a job. We need some benefits. Help a brother out. Go get a job. <laughs> And she was like, I don't want to work. Because she was living a league lifestyle just like I was, you know. Yeah. And she was like, I really don't want to work. And when I saw all these women at the country club, by the pool, during the day, feeding their kid goldfish. And I was like, babe, all right, I got this. I got this. And being in that environment really built my confidence that I could be successful in business because they weren't smarter than me. Mm. And one guy told me, he said, Walter, you're going to do fine. I said, what do you mean? Okay, give me what, what? He said, you're going to do great in business. I was like, okay, all right, I like what I'm hearing. But explain to me, I knew I, I was good in basketball, right? I did everything well. I could shoot, I could pass, I had high basketball IQ, right? Yeah. I, I can defend. I knew I was good in basketball. Help me understand why I'm going to be good in business. He said, Walter, look around, man, everybody likes you. 
man, okay. He's like, look, man, look, you're like the most popular guy here, and you just got here. That's a skill set. And I was like, it is? He's like, oh, yeah, man, you're going to do great in business, man. That's a great selling ability. Everybody likes you, and you're easy to talk to. You're going to do great in business. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I get it. Then I started thinking and using my innovation and creativity because I wouldn't even speak to adults. I would go and speak at high schools and, and middle school because mm. I was like, man, them folks are grown. What am I going to say to them? Right. <laughs> they got briefcases. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was still like a kid a little bit and I saw them as adults and I would go and speak at youth events and the parents would be there and they would say, oh my God, our company needs to hear that. I was like, yeah. They do? Oh, yeah, we need to hear that same message. Then I built my confidence up. Now, man, I, my biggest audience has been like 25,000. On a regular basis, uh-huh. I'll probably have two to 3,000 people in my audience. And I love it. I'm like, bring it on, man, bring it on. All right, Walter, on. I got to stop you right there then. Okay, do you remember you're out of the league? You're done. You're out of the league, not playing basketball anymore. Do you remember your first speaking gig? Yes. My first gig was for Fellowship of Christian Athletes at a little small college in Minnesota, Gustavus Adolphus. And I went down there. It was about an hour drive from Minneapolis, um, kind of near Mankato, where the Vikings have training camp. Yep. And I spoke to a bunch of uh, college athletes from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Absolutely. And I loved it. And I did a bunch of small things. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, I used to broadcast for the Timberwolves. Yep. And I hated broadcasting, but part of my responsibility, I would go around and do a couple of events for the Timberwolves. And I remember what my college coach said. And I was like, dude, and my wife didn't like her job. She didn't want to work. And eventually, 2001, we were like, okay, let's launch it. Let's launch this motivational speaking business. And man, we hit it and we hit it hard. Uh, My first fee was what you got. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm a Chicago hustler, man. My first fee was what you got. Uh, and, and here's my philosophy. When I grew up playing ball on the playgrounds, right? That's where I learned how to hoop, on the playgrounds. And right. I knew that if I become a pro, the money's going to be there. And so when I started speaking, I was very humble and say, look, I'm not even worried about money right now. I need to get really good on the platform. I need to perfect mm. this craft. You leave me open, I'm going to pop this J in your eye. Right. right. You let me go left, right, it don't matter. I'm going to give you buckets, son. <laughs> so my sports attitude began to come back. And I was like, look, I'm watching Les Brown. I was like, okay, okay. Tony Robbins, okay, okay. Zig Ziglar. And I called my wife in the office. I said, babe, we're going to be all right. And she goes, what? what, what? I said, babe, we're going to be okay. And this is what I told her. I said, look, I couldn't do what Mike could do. Mm. <laughs> Right. <laughs> My legs ain't act right. <laughs> I, I just couldn't. I, I, I could. I dumped on one person my whole life. Clarence Motherfucker. I, I just didn't have that talent, that ability. But I was like, babe, I just watched Les Brown, and I can do what he can do. Mm. I, I I just watched Tony Robbins, and I was like, oh my god, I, I can I can do what he can do. Steve Harvey, if you guys remember, yeah. Oh, yeah. had a comedy club in Dallas. Yeah, um, over in the Oak Cliff. Oak Cliff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, said the entertainer was his closing act, and he loved basketball. He was really good friends with my teammate Randy White. Mm-hmm. And you still ain't figured out my high school teammate. I know, I, I did. I have not yet. So did he? Did he play with me in college? 
No, with the with, with the uh, Cowboys. I can't for Chicago. I can't to, to the for anyway, the life of me. All story. right, go ahead. Steve Harvey, I, he he let me go up at his comedy club. Um, I talked him into it, and he liked me. And uh, I went into his t- comedy club and started motivating people in the comedy club. And he took the microphone. He was like, man, it's a comedy club. What are you doing? And I realized, although I use a lot of humor in my presentations, I'm not a comedian. So it's just like sports. I mean, are you a, 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 a corner or a slot corner? Right. Right. Are you right. a free safety or a strong safety? Mm-hmm. Are you an outside linebacker or middle linebacker? Right. Through the years, I had to realize as a speaker, what's my perfect position? Mm -hmm. My perfect position is a keynote speaker, Mm. right? I'm not a trainer. I'm not a facilitator. You give me a microphone and you give me a thousand people, 5,000 people, you give me 60 minutes and we leave this ballroom, we're going to have people ready to transform. Mm. We're going to have people Mm. fired up, inspired, ready to do more, right? Ready to make it to their own individual league. And that's what, to me, the league represented, reaching your potential. And we got a lot of professionals who don't even understand what it takes to reach your potential. So I thank God my journey to the NBA was a tough one. As I said earlier, I didn't I didn't start in college, man. I came off the bench in college. And so my whole pro career was on life support the whole time. But I became the first ever undrafted rookie free agent in the history of the Dallas Mavericks to start opening night. Luka Donis just broke my rookie scoring record. Oh, man. Uh-huh. You know, his rookie year. Would you hit 25, right? Would you hit 25? Record. What's that? What'd you hit that your your rookie year? What'd you hit? What was what was the what was um, the number? Um the, the record he broke was the most points for uh Dallas Maverick rookie in the first three games. Oh, My wow. second NBA game, I had like twenty seven points. Right. And that, that gave me a rookie record. You know, they keep all these oh, things. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, but yeah. I think I think that that's I want to go back just a little bit. Know who you are, know what your strengths are. You talked about intelligence earlier, like, okay, I may not be school smart but everybody's intelligent, right? Everybody's got something to them. Knowing who you are and attacking those strengths is, I think, man, takes some, some really emotional intelligence, right? Like you, you, can see, you can see outside of yourself. And I'm not trying to be, like for me, I can't do what Darren does. Like there's no, and if I tried to be like Darren, then I become that unlikable person right? That, that you talk about because I'm not authentic. I'm not being real. So what was it for you? Is it, was it your dad? Was it experience? Was it just like coming to a realization to say, okay, Hey, look, I know what I'm good at and I'm going to stay in that lane. I'm not going to try to make a million dollars doing what he did. I'm going to make a million dollars doing what I can do. What, what gets you to that point of realization? Yeah, you know, again, I, I attribute my basketball and really sports journey. I mean, I was, as I said earlier, I was really good in baseball, basketball, and football. Um, I think that really helped me understand that I need to discover what's my game, right? And so, um, kind of something going on on the screen. Um, I need to discover what my game is, right? And so, you know, once I understood that in basketball, you know, my career kind of took off, right? And so... Uh, once I understood that in business, my business took off. So mm-hmm. my first question for anybody, don't you ever, I'm giving y'all a million dollar advice right now. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about to it. Don't you ever decide a career until you discover your gift. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to me, growing up in Chicago, for example, I knew tons of guys who played basketball who were good athletes, 
but never should have played basketball. Mm. Their body type didn't say basketball. They, they should have played football. I had a high school teammate, 6'6", 265 pounds with great feet, played college football, I mean basketball at Appalachian State. That dude was a left tackle all day long. Right? <laughs> wow. Just in high school, 6'5", 6'6", wow. 265, athletic enough, good hands, Right, athletic mm-hmm. enough to get a Division One basketball scholarship. If he grew up in Texas or Florida, oh, or yeah, like that, man, he would have yeah. been a five-star recruit, no doubt about it. And he was a legitimate Division One athlete. The high school teammate I had that played for the Cowboys was the number one pick in 1992. Whoa, whoa, whoa. a guy named Russell Maryland. Oh, Come Russ, on, yeah. Well, Russ is from what? Russ is not. He's right. He is from Chicago. You're right. He's from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> then he, went to the University he, of Miami, and then yeah. yes, no, I didn't know boy, that. Man. He played. He played right tackle. I played tight end. I mean, that was that was my man. I have to say and, something now, to Russ. Has an incredible story um, himself. But you know, the, the the thing I learned about um, sports is to play your game. Yeah. And so my message for any professional. Don't ever decide a career until you discover your gift. We've been brainwashed, right? We got taught, go to school, um, get a degree, and go find a good job with a good company. You know, nobody's really telling you to discover your gift, right? Mm. And so we get a lot of kids, 23, 25, 30 years old, got all this college debt, and they still don't know what they want to do. They're still not happy, and they're just kind of floating through life. You got to discover your gift before you decide a career. For athletes, we're lucky, you know, Mm. because anyone – you know, when you're young, you were special young. You know, the gift was there yeah, yeah. when you were young. People would yell out when I was 12, check his birth certificate. He's too old. <laughs> He's not 12. But what they didn't realize, man, you're watching a future pro athlete. And right. at 12 years old, that gift was there, right? And so in sports, it's easy to discover gifts. And, and the biggest um, thing that I hate about high schools, and I teach this in a lot of my seminars, at the local high school, there's tons of programs for the A students, right. A Honor Roll, National Honor Society. They keep the smart kids busy, right? right? Student government. But there's tons of programs for the F students, detention, right? Truancy, right. <laughs> the principal's office, Saturday the school, office. <laughs> yeah. but trash about pickup. The biggest demographic at a high school is that C student. And there's absolutely nothing available for that C student. So that Steve student just kind of floats around unless they walk into McDonald's. You guys get what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. The C student floats around unless their dad was a high school principal mm. who knew how to teach and coach. Wow. And so what I teach a lot of my clients, like, look, what are we doing for the C students? I do these high-end events for top academic, I mean, um, um, financial advisors and insurance agents. They, they take me to Cancun and they fly me to Bermuda and I keep speaking to their top financial advisors, their top performers, their top producers. And I always ask these business leaders, well, you know, these guys don't even need me. Then what do you mean? They're alpha males and females already. Mm. Give me your C students. Mm. What are you doing for your C students? Mm. And I got a buddy of mine who's a top um, academic advisor with uh, UBS, my college teammate and roommate. And I asked him, I said, Rob, he used to be an agent, a guy named Rob Metcalf, had three first-round draft picks. I said, Rob, what does UBS and these other financial institutions do for that financial advisor who's average? He goes, wow, nothing. They fly me places. (laughs) And these guys call me, and they want me to take them to lunch, and they want me to buy me coffee, and I don't have time. 
And so the biggest gap, guys, that I see in America that can grossly impact our economy, that can incredibly boost everything we do from a domestic per capita, the best thing we can do, honestly, if the government wanted to change America, build programs for that Mm C-stoop. Build programs for me. Mm. Because in my mind, I'm that kid. (laughs) Right. I was a C student who was just fortunate that I came from a family who understood how to support, coach, and teach. But man, I'm 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 like a pink elephant, right? Right. I'm rare, and there's C students everywhere. There's a plethora of C students all over America looking for someone to inspire them, looking for someone to build their confidence, looking for someone to say, hey, man, write your goals down and look at them every single day. Here, I'm going to teach you leadership. I'm going to teach you how to sell. Think about all the C students in in, 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 in Division One football or basketball yeah. with a little extra coaching, with a little extra support. You know, maybe you couldn't have made it to the NFL. Maybe, maybe you can go be a doctor, but maybe you can go be a VP of sales you got to drive you got the commitment don't make it all about the nfl that's right don't make it all about the nba don't you make it all about baseball because you learn how to be a peak performer translate that energy translate that mentality translate your confidence to this new industry that you're going to have to do the rest of your life anyway i'm gonna say what i said earlier i don't hoop no more but i'm still balling (laughs) balling is a mentality it don't matter if it's in sports or in business, we got to have tremendous confidence. All right. Amen. Amen. He's on it. Preach. (laughs) Okay. I get it. I know we're going to, we're going to respect your time. We're going to wrap up here real quick. Uh, One thing I needed to ask you, because we, we run into this when we're talking to a lot of kids in our community is fear, overcoming your fear. We've all had it. We've all run into it at some point in our lives. How have you overcome? Because one of the biggest fears in the world is getting, having someone hand you the mic and tell you to go. How, do, how have you overcome your, your fears? You know, I'm a little different, and I just wrote about this yesterday. I think fear is a good thing, right? Fear will make you act right, right? Fear will make you put on your seatbelt. Fear will make you not drive drunk. Right. Fear will make you a law abiding citizen. Fear will make you pay your taxes. The way I look at fear, fear is going to make sure you do the right thing. And I don't see fear as a negative thing. In fact, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. And so to me, fear is not a bad thing. Now, sometimes people look at pro athletes or successful people and think they don't have fear. You don't think I have butterflies when I spoke in front of twenty five thousand? I did it scared. Mm. Another event, I did a, a keynote in front of 3,000 motivational speakers. That was one of the most terrifying mm. experiences I ever had. 3,000 motivational speakers who wish they were on that stage like me, yeah. looking at my pauses, looking at my nonverbal communication, looking at my voice inflection, man, looking at my storytelling. Do I open right? Do I close right? All the technical aspects of being a motivational speaker. Darren, if you watch a football game, you know if that defensive back was in position. Yep. You know if they had the right foot pedal. You know if they took the right angle. You know what the safety's supposed to do, right? right? So when I spoke in front of 3,000 motivational speakers, I was like, snap. <laughs> <laughs> These are 3,000 people who already know what I'm supposed to do. Mm. And I was nervous. And I settled in, and I turned that joint out. Right? Mm-hmm. But I was nervous when I began. You know, fear will make you focus. Yeah. Fear will make you act right. 
And the worst thing we can do is act like fear is some bad thing or, or fear is some negative thing. We, most of us do the right thing because of fear. So the question is, how do you use your fear? And fear is something I think is, makes, if you really think about it, fear makes me lock my door at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I'm about to go to bed. Let me go lock the door. Why? Out of fear. I don't want some crazy dude coming up in my house. And I sleep hard, right? (laughs) Fear is not a bad thing. It's just Mm. how you use fear. As long as fear doesn't paralyze you, do it scared. Do it afraid. And I'm telling you, man, you'll 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 get through it, and then you'll build confidence and keep, just keep doing it afraid. Yeah. That that is that that's my best answer, honestly. Man, I, I mean, uh, Darren, you talk about it all the time. The '90s with Jimmy was there. The guys played with with a level of fear, fear. absolutely. And there's accountability to it. There's a reason why you showed up an hour before the actual meeting started, right? Like, just <laughs> it was just fear of losing your job. Hey, yeah. hey, fear is why I literally was never late to football, right. but I can't be on time for anything in my life <laughs> after that. It's because of fear. No. Well, I, I'll, and, go ahead, Walter. Go ahead. And, and fear is why you passed the drug test. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Fear is why you didn't yeah. blow curfew. Yep. Right? Yeah. Fear is why you did everything right because you didn't want to take any chances. Like, I don't want to take any chances. I want to do everything right. Yeah. And, and to me, you know, to teach fear like it's some bad thing, you know, fear is a good thing. That's right. Because I believe fear is going to make you do the right thing. Right. Let's yeah. talk about, you know, the, the, the police situation right now in America, especially with African American men. You know, when cops get behind me, man, I have anxiety attacks, right? Mm. I'm afraid because I know that things can escalate. And so because of that, I try my best to be respectful. I try my best to be appropriate. And I know it was bogus why you pulled me over, but, you know, hey, you got the gun and I don't. Right. (laughs) I mean, even if I was right or wrong, if I'm dead, hell, (laughs) it's not going to do me and my family any good. And I got to get home. Yeah. My no. wife told me, look, I just need you to come home. That's right. Right. So, you know what? Fear of not coming home is going to make me act right. 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 And, and I got an ego. And if you don't have that badge and that gun, I'll pop you in your jaw. <laughs> right. You got the badge. You got the gun. Right. right. Okay. You got me, bro. You got me. And I'm going to act right. That's right. Because right. I, got, I got too much to lose. Yeah. I got yeah. too much to lose. Right. And yeah. I'm afraid of losing my stuff because I work too hard for it. Right. That's right. That That's fear right. is what makes me fold those hand towels correctly and hang them up in the bathroom yeah, for, the for fear of the whooping that I get if I don't, right? And, and, and lower that toilet seat, too. Hey, right? right? That's right. That's right. She just trained me to sit down. I mean, I didn't even fight it. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. My, Walter, my... My cheeks are hurting from smiling this whole yeah, time. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't think we've had this much fun this the, you know this whole time we've been doing this podcast. We yep. so man. much appreciate you, man. Yes, uh, you you clearly do have an energy about you, and, and you are very likable. Yeah, shark mindset. Shark yes. mindset. Tell us about that shark mindset, man. Shark mindset. We have a video on YouTube, guys. Oh, we've seen it. We've seen it. Oh, we've seen it. Everybody's seen it. uh, I'm going to tell you what happened. You know, we made the video, and the Cleveland Browns coach saw it and had me in front of their team within 10 days. Mm. Uh, This is back with Hugh Jackson, and unfortunately, he had already lost his Mm. locker room. I was like, this Uh, locker room. It was a last last shot right there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the shark mindset is really, uh, it's based on our book, Swim, 
which is a bestseller. I mm. mean, this this high school freaking dude that flunked out wrote a bestseller, and it's really simple. Sharks never stop moving forward or they die. Mm. I mean, think about that. This is really a story of work ethic being relentless. There's a reason why sharks run the ocean. They outwork every other fish. Sharks only look up. They never look down, which means they're positive and they don't deal with anything petty. Sharks are curious and always learning. I mean, if you're going to be on this earth for another year, we all should be smart. You had 365 days to learn something, right? Sharks are the smartest fish in the ocean. But a couple more things which is fascinating about a shark. Sharks are flexible. They're made out of cartilage. So if something's not working, bro, change. Mm. Pivot, shift. If it's not working, man, let's be committed to the result and not the strategy. Mm. I tell my corporate clients that all the time. Let's get focused on the result. But we have to run an audible. Who cares? Right. <laughs> let's get to the result. Let's commit to the result and not the strategy. So sharks are great because they're made out of cartilage. Think about that. Mm. You got a 6,000 ton shark who's made out of cartilage. You know, as a ball player, I hated to stretch, right? I, right. Hate, I used to hate <laughs> stretching. I hated icing. Mm. But you had to be flexible mm. because if you were flexible, you were less likely to be injured and you would recover from injuries faster, right? And mm. so sharks finally are great teammates. You know, sharks have such a bad reputation. And in this book, Swim, we teach the shark mindset. It's a parable. I got mentored by Mark Victor Hansen. You talk about coaches. This is chicken soup for your soul, guy. He heard me speak at an event, and I talked about the shark that sucker fish in a parasite. He's like, dude, you got to write a book, man. This is a bestseller, man. This is like Mm. who moved my cheese. And I said, look, man, uh, 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 Mark, most places I go, I'm the shark. But right now, you just met a 6'5", 300-pound sucker fish. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, absolutely. And so our book publisher, Wiley, in a 15-minute conversation, they were like, Walter, we want to do this book, man, and it needs to be a parable. I was like, oh, I agree. Mark Mm. Victor Hansen told me it should be a parable. Mm. And in one year, man, we sold 10,000 copies which is unheard of. And right now we're hitting bestseller lists on a regular basis. And this book is taking off, man. This book has a chance. And here's why it's been successful because I'm really teaching leaders, watch this, how to be mentors. Mm. You know, if you think about great leaders are also mentors. So in the book, I'm really teaching leaders that forgot to be mentors. You know what I call them? Fruit inspectors. You guys would love one of my live events because I challenge all of these hotshot CEOs and executive VPs who think they're so smart with all this turnover and all this attrition and all this apathy. Like, man, you don't have control of your locker room. Are you a fruit inspector or a coach? Mm-hmm. Right. Michael Jordan was, was good until Phil Jackson showed up and he said, give him to me. Remember, Michael Jordan was seen as a show off, a hot dog. Right. He'll never win a championship. You know, what Phil Jackson said, give him to me. Tom mm-hmm. Brady was a six round pick. Slow. You see that video. He run the 40 yard <laughs> dash. He almost looked retarded. But Phil Belichick <laughs> said, give him to me, man. Right. I'll turn him into the goat. Give right. him to me. Give them to me. That's what a coach does. They don't focus on what's wrong with you. They focus on what's right with you. Give them to me. Mm-hmm. Give them to go. me. That's what great coaches do. I don't care that you are only a two-star. Give them to me. I don't care you went to North Dakota State. Give them to me. And that's what great coaches do. They know how to recruit. 
develop and to retain top talent. When I get done with my clients, man, they so fired up. They're like, look, Walter, we need more of this. Okay, well, let me send you this retainer. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get some of this once a month. Shark mindset. And teach your whole company the shark mindset. Oh, I'm going to give you a free sweatshirt with this retainer. <laughs> <laughs> love it, man. Oh, I'm going to hit you over the head once a month. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, you are preaching. I, I tell you what, a common theme that I'm going to take away from this is your ability to spin what a lot of us take as negatives mm. and you look at the positive side mm-hmm. and, and you want and, and you want the the, the yeah. funk you want that that hard challenge and I think a lot of us run away from that and that's what's really inspiring about you mm. is that you take those on and you actually look forward to those things well you know Ben big man when, when you have failed in your life and then you've had success it does something to you Mm. Right. It really it really does something to you. I mean, I flunked out of my first high school. Right. I sat on the bench my rookie, my freshman year. I didn't play a lick. I didn't play at all. And I went to my coach and I said, Coach, what do I need to do to play in the NBA? He laughed and said, son, you don't play for me. (laughs) (laughs) But this is what I told him. I said, Coach, man, I'm going to become somebody different. I'm going to become somebody different. Just tell me who I need to be. So that I can play in the NBA. They're human. I mean, right. these guys, they're human. <laughs> like, who do I need to become to play in the NBA? And I would have this conversation with them every year. And watch this. My offseason was sacred. My offseason was my chance to get bigger, stronger, and faster. If it wasn't for my offseason, I never would have touched the NBA. And so now in business, we take our clients to something we call the offseason. Right. The off seasons when you don't work in your business, you work on your business. Ooh. And so my small businesses that we coach, I'm like, look, man, let's dissect your company and figure out what's broken and let's fix it. You know, let, mm-hmm. let's figure. Is it your sales process? Let's fix it. Is it your culture? Let's fix it. We created a teamwork methodology. It's going to change the game, guys. Mm-hmm. This teamwork methodology we created is going to change the game. And here's why. And we can go after this. I'm going to drop the mic right now. Oh, <laughs> Think about it. As a grown man in the NFL, you rarely talked about leadership. Like, dude, I'm grown. I got wives and kids. I don't need you to be my leader. (laughs) Maybe rookies need it, but for the most part, dude, I'm a grown man. I don't need you to be my leader, but I need teammates. And so when you play pro sports, you obviously have confidence in your own ability. But when you get to these high levels, you look at your teammates like they're freaks. Like, look at those hands. Like, man, come here, let me see you. Man, look how long this dude's arms are. Man, I had a teammate named Dave Benoit, country boy from Louisiana, could jump out the gym. I was like, dude, he had at least a 45-inch vertical. So when you play at these high levels, you obviously have confidence in your ability, but you completely respect your teammates' talent and ability, too, Mm -hmm. because they're a bad boy, too. So when I come to corporate America, I tell my business leaders, they look, man, what is a leader's job to build a team? Okay, well, we haven't even talked about teamwork. Phil Jackson had the triangle offense. And who did he plug in? Scotty, Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. Won six championships. He leaves Chicago and goes to L.A. He does not take Scotty. He does not take Mike. He did not take Dennis Rodman. But he takes his blueprint. Mm. His triangle offense to L.A., he plugs in Shaq, he plugs in Kobe, he plugs in Robert Ory, he plugs in uh, Derek Fisher. And what happens? He wins five championships. Mm. 
Michael Jordan goes to the Washington Wizards without his coach and without his blueprint right. and looked horrible. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he was old. I played with John Stockton and Carl Malone when they were 37. The truth is great coaches have great blueprints and great coaches and great players are symbiotic. Mm. I need you and you need me. Right. I add value to you and you add value to me. And so whether it's in the context of your family, whether it's in the context of your company, whether it's in the context of your team, that's what coaches do. Give them to me. Yeah. I'm going to add value to you. And if I do my job right, <laughs> you're going to add value to me. My it, wife man. and I built a training and development company. We go all over the world running our mouths. And why? <laughs> when I show up, I want to add value to you. And after I get the standing ovation and sell all my books, where my check at, dog? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All you right. You're going to add value to me. All right. Those that need value added to their company. So whether you're a CEO, a chief marketing officer, yeah. HR, Sales, sales director, whoever it is in the company that needs growth, how do they find you? How do they connect with you? Easy. WalterBond.com. Oh, yeah. WalterBond, 007. WalterBond.com. Yes. Uh, once you get into our website, uh, we have what we call a swim action plan. It is amazing. Uh, it's a great way for someone to engage us. But once, once you get in, we got all kind of coaching programs for speakers. We got coaching programs for entrepreneurs. We got training programs for companies. I mean, we have built a, a company. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we have built a company, and we're all about training and development. And most companies, that's the first thing they eliminate. You know, yeah. get rid yes. of training and development. I'm like, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too busy. That's the most important thing you got is your training and development. Yeah. But if you don't understand that, it's like taking out your weight room. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, we don't need a strength and conditioning oh, coach. Man, you are dumb, man. Uh, <laughs> right. Pay you all this money, dummy. Bring yeah. that weight room back. Bring that strength and conditioning yeah. coach back. He's almost as, as important as a head coach. You can't ask any college football coach. They'll tell you that most important hire is that strength and conditioning mm, coach. Yeah. 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 Well, he that spends the most time with them, that's for coach. sure. Come on, man. Yeah. And yeah. companies aren't getting that. And I thank God for my sports background mm-hmm. because because of the credibility we built that we get these CEOs and these decision makers to listen. Mm-hmm. And when they can just listen, what we're teaching makes so much sense. And we add so much value to them for them. It's almost free because they get so much return on it. Like right. what we charge you is nothing dude. Cause you're going to mm-hmm. get the result that you want. Yeah. I, yeah. Love it. Yeah, but I know you got the last question, but I went to the website to a, a number of times just, you know, just creeping. Of course. And I know the first thing I see, first thing I see, Walt, is you at the basketball, a little highlight, you at the basketball, and guess who's who's guarding you? Number 23, Michael oh, Jordan. Oh, of course. And he hits the jumper in Michael's face, and I'm like, okay, I got it. Okay, Mike. Right, right. Okay, right. Walt, you know, Walt, Walt, Walt run out of here. All, all right, all right, last. All, up top. <laughs> all right, last question, let you drop the mic on this one. We, we ask every guest this. If you could go back to any point in your life and tell yourself one thing, doesn't mean necessarily that you go change anything, but if you just go tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself? Wow, that's a great question. You know, honestly, um, I would go back to probably my freshman year of high school, somewhere around a time frame, and I would have told myself to focus on one sport. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I told myself. Mm. Um, I even played a little college baseball because, um, you know, my uncle, baseball was in my heart and blood. Right. And even when I go back to Chicago, people that know me know me like, dude, you should have played baseball. I mean, I was that good. And um, after one of my college baseball games, I would play with the varsity team in the summer. Um, one of our assistant coaches came to a baseball game. And he was like, man, you got, you got a dilemma. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, you, you're really good in baseball. I mean, you're like a really good baseball player. And obviously, you're a really good basketball player. But do you want to be a pro? Mm. I was like, yeah. Right. <laughs> he was like, if you want to be a pro, man, you got, you, got to, you got to choose. Like, you're really good in both. But do you want to be a pro? And I remember that conversation, one of our assistant coaches, and I was just like, God, dog. And for me to give up baseball was like putting Abraham putting his son on the altar. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and um, so if I could go back in time, I probably I believe in cross training, and I hate parents that that. that I, and I was about to I was about young. to fight you on that statement. Yeah. Pick yeah, one yeah, sport yeah, in high yeah. school, um, but <laughs> around sixteen, I probably would have said, "You got to make a decision right mm-hmm. now." Because you know, at sixteen is when all the the, the, the big time scouts come, come out. Yeah, they start ranking you. Yeah, you know, in basketball, I was always ranked one hundred and fifteen, one hundred and twelve. But in the summer, while everybody was going to these basketball camps, I was busy playing baseball, mm. and I would see these rankings. I was like, I'm better than this guy. Yeah, I'm way yeah. better than him. How's he ranked ahead of me? Yeah. The truth was, it was all marketing because they're at these basketball tournaments. They're I'm not, not even seeing there. you. Yeah, they ain't, they're I'm not playing, seeing you. I'm yeah, home runs. Yeah, you know, in parks with nobody there. Right, <laughs> right. So if I can go back in time, if I would have been ranked higher, um, the whole journey to the NBA would have been easier. Right. But since I kind of didn't put put myself in that marking position, I had to overcome all of these um, opinions. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. Right. Well, yeah. you know, this yep. guy was five-star. Man, think about how many chances a five-star gets. Oh, yeah. right? They don't give a five-star a million chances, and this little unranked two-star might get one. Right, right. right? My rookie year with the Mavericks, man, I scored like 20-something points eight times, and it was like, oh, good game, man. Jimmy Jackson does it once. Oh, my God. God yeah. <laughs> but he was a lottery pick. Yeah. He got picked fourth. And so the expectation was for him to do it. And so they kind of, you know, he was a good ball player. I love yeah. Jimmy Jackson. But since he was a lottery pick, they set the table. Yeah. They looking at me like Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I played for the Detroit Pistons. They never even put my name on my jersey. <laughs> Come on, man. He's Come just keeping it, just keep it warm. He just yeah. keeping it warm. <laughs> so, so anyway, I mean, I, I would tell myself to get focused on one sport a little earlier. Probably mm. about because I had a really good left hand and I could finish with my left, and I attribute that to being a baseball player. Mm. You know, because baseball players yeah. are ambidextrous. You got to yeah. use your left hand yep. as much as your right hand. Mm. And I was player of the game with the Mavericks, and Brad Davis interviewed me. And he was like, Walter Bond, your left hand is really good. How did you develop your left hand? And I was like, huh? I was stumped. And I laid in the bed that night, and I was like, baseball. That's yeah. why my left hand is good. Mm-hmm. It had to be baseball because I never really worked on it. It was just naturally stronger. And so cross-training, I think, is so important for kids. But when you get about 16, you know, about that sophomore year, I think you need to start choosing because if you don't, 
you're going to start hurting yourself because it's hard to have that divided energy if you're going to be a pro athlete. Mm. Yeah. Walt, well, we appreciate you, bro. Yeah. You've been awesome. Well, you big Russ, man. You I will, man. I'm going to let Big Russ know. Man. I'm going to say Russ. Uh, Walt talked to me and said that, Russ, you couldn't play in high school. That's exactly what I'm going to tell him. He <laughs> said so you were just a scrub. Hey, you know what he's going to tell you? Walter couldn't block. He's going to tell you. <laughs> hey, look, I was a receiving tight end, man. I was a flex tight end, baby. I was stressed to field. But he was the right tackle. I was a tight end. That's a good dude. Yeah, he's great story dude. story is incredible. Yeah. I yeah. told Russell, man. If I could tell your story, oh, oh you know what? That's one thing one, I gotta do. Become the number one pick. I was there, guys. I was a witness. Russell was not special in the high school, but he, he a, came down to Miami. He lost about 70 pounds and hung out with Michael Irvin. Mm-hmm. He said, Man, I learned how to be a hurricane. Number one pick in the draft. Wow. That dude has mm-hmm. a great story. Yeah. Hey, Walt, I gotta get going, man. Well, we appreciate you, brother. Okay, God bless, man. I talk man. for a living, man. You know. No, no, this was fun, man. Thanks, bro. Thank you so much. All right, God bless. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.